Good morning, Cross Point. Good morning. You guys awake? Ready to study God's Word? Awesome. So kids, you can be released. Uh, your teachers are back there to receive you. And then if everyone else would turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Hopefully you have one of these uh, scripture journals that we have available. If you don't have one, I would encourage you to pick this up on your way out, or even someone could bring you one now. It's going to be on the bottom of page 10 where we're going to be uh, this morning. I also want to let you know of, of kind of two things to go along with this. One is we do have these bookmarks that you can use not only to keep your place in the scripture journal, but also to know what passages we're going to be studying in the coming weeks. And so I even got an email this week from someone who was like reading ahead and, and just as they were reading what God was impressing on their hearts. I love this. This is what I hope and desire would continue to happen is just read ahead for what we're going to be talking about next week throughout this week that God would be preparing your heart and using his word to transform our lives. So this is a resource to help you know where we're going to be going in the coming weeks. Also, we do have a new worship guide that you'll see that has a lot more information. Just wanting to make you aware of this because one of the things that you'll also see in this is during our, our partners meeting and, and at the beginning of the year, I've encouraged you guys to begin memorizing Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. Seven verses, but we have all year to do this. And so I'm wanting to really break this down to help us not forget that initiative because my heart is this is Paul's prayer. And I want this to be a prayer that we are praying for ourselves and for the church together, praying for one another. And so we're going to be breaking this down in the coming months, but there's going to be a reminder in here. So if you're like, what are we doing with that? What should I be focusing on? We're going to be taking that step by step and just want it to make you aware of that. So as we prepare to read God's Word, I want to just remind us of the context. Like John, the, the, the one who wrote this poetic sermon, was an old man at this point. He's been exiled. He's writing to a church, most likely that's in the city of Ephesus, numerous churches there that he's helped to plan. In this church, it's struggling. These churches, that they've seen people who were there worshiping together with them, but now they've walked away, not just from the church, but from the faith, and they're saying things completely counter to the gospel. And they're trying to persuade those who are still in the church to, to listen to them, to follow what it is that's on their hearts. There was, there was this thing at the time that was in the culture called Gnosticism, it was this sense of a personal spiritual knowledge. They wanted to reject everything physical. Physical is bad. The spiritual is dominant. And particularly the way I feel about what's spiritual. The, the way I feel about this personal revelation. My authentic truth. And, and they wanted to reject orthodoxy. They wanted to reject tradition. They wanted to reject any sense of authority. It's all about this special revelation that I have. And so John, in writing this... What we're going to be reading this morning is directly countering what the culture was proclaiming them. Where does truth come from? Who gets to determine what's true or not true? Is this just everybody? Whatever's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me? Is that what truth is? And if we're honest, that kind of sounds like our culture, doesn't it? This sounds very much, we don't call it Gnosticism, but maybe it's pluralism. Maybe it's some other name, this idea that 
everybody's right in their own mind. Like, who am I to tell you that your truth is wrong? Who am I to say that the path you're on is right or wrong? Let everyone be right in their own minds. Let me just mind my own business, you mind your own business, and let's just call it all right. And, and God is described as being at the top of this mountain, right? And all the different religions of the world are at the base of the mountain. They're all taking their own path to climb the mountain, and we're all on this different path. And so you can't tell me that your path is right and, and this path is wrong. It's all moving towards the same thing. What do we do with this? How do we respond? Because the way that John is going to respond is going to cut against every cultural bone that is around us. This is what, what John is going to have to say is what leads to being canceled. What John is going to have to say this morning is completely contrary to, to the, the winds of our culture today. And so I, I want to encourage us to prepare our hearts to hear not how I feel about it, but what does God's Word have to say to us this morning. So I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together. To begin again with prayer before we read God's Word of realizing that we need His eyes to see and to understand His Word, not to come with our own understanding. And so let me pray for us before we read. Lord, we come to you this morning, each with our own bias, each with our own opinion. Lord, but we need to hear from you. Would you shape our thinking? Would you shape our understanding? Would you give us the faith to believe what you say and who you are as truth? Lord, would you lead us and guide us and help us to know what it means to abide in this truth and to be faithful in the proclamation of who you are. And in Jesus' name, amen. So beginning together, bottom of page 10, children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this, this is the promise that He has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. This is God's word. You can be seated. I want us to see what's at stake. We see this, this language, right, of, of truth and lies. What's true, what's wrong. But I want us to feel what's at stake. Like, who cares? Just let them be. We follow what we say is true. Why do we have to say that something is a lie? Why can't we just say this is true and we follow it and let everybody else alone? And, and the answer is there. What's at stake in verse 25? And this is the promise that he has made to us. Eternal life. This is what's at stake. See, like in our home, there's this question of, I have some children who have come from my wife and I who are somehow convinced that Pepsi is better than Coke. I don't get it. They're wrong, right? But there's a difference. Does it matter? No. <laughs> yeah, some are like, actually, yes, it does. No. <laughs> No, it doesn't. Like, that's insignificant. This is not insignificant. This isn't just some minor difference as to what soda you prefer. This is eternal life. What does that even mean? Because remember, I think it was back in week one, we talked about this. Sometimes eternal life, it can be reduced to something that is like after we die right? Uh, eternal life, we say, okay, it doesn't have any meaning for us today. It doesn't have anything in, in the weight and the stresses and the brokenness that I have today. Eternal life is something that happens after I die. And then it'll matter. But what does it matter now? But that's not how John talks about eternal life. When he talks about eternal life, in his own words, in John seventeen three, he defines eternal life as this. And this is eternal life. Definition. That they know and only and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, there's something that's being said here. This is Jesus. And if you want a better and first John as a whole, I would encourage you to go back and John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, is leaning heavily from chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 of the Gospel of John. You're going to see similar themes throughout first John in those chapters of the Gospel. He's saying, look, eternal life is not just something that happens after you die. Eternal life is knowing God today. Yes, it will continue forever. But eternal life, that life and life eternal, that, that indwells us, begins at the moment of confession of who Christ is. It is now, it is today to the believer. There's the, the weight of reality now. And he's saying that this is the only true God there are not multiple gods. There's not multiple paths here. There are counterfeits. There's only one. John is going to continue later on in this book in chapter 5, verse 20, and he's going to say, and we know that the Son of God 
and has given us then understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Do you see what John's doing here? I kind of feel it. There is something true and there is something false. There is something here that matters that we need to be aware of. And eternal life is at stake because eternal life is ultimately knowing the one true God. There are counterfeits. There are lies. There is deception all around us. There is something, more importantly, someone who is the truth. And his name is Jesus. And this is what John is getting at. This is why he writes, if you look in verse 26, I write these things to you. Statements like this. Like as I'm studying God's word, like why is he writing this? What's his point? What's he trying to get at? Not what do I think, but then he tells me, plain as day, this is why I'm writing you this letter. We don't need to guess. We don't need to make up something. He's telling us, I am writing you these things because people are trying to deceive you. There's deceptions. There are who lie. It happens in our culture. It happens in people. It happens among friend groups. It can happen among family. There are people who are trying to deceive us. There is truth and there is error. And it's like, be on guard. Listen for this. This is why he's writing us. Because we can't assume that we're going to abide and understand it. And so we see him then beginning to say there is truth that we're called to abide in. But there's also liars who lie. And so how do we discern that? How do we see that? And that is really then where John began. If you look back to 18, children, again, not saying this to belittle. This is an old man, and, and, and some tradition says that like after he got out of exile and went back to Ephesus, he would always refer to them as like my little children. This is an affectionate grandfather who's caring and loving for these believers. Children, it is the last hour. There's two words in here that if we're not careful and if you've grown up around any kind of church that might trigger this thought of end times. Revelation, right? That's going to be the last hour in Antichrist. And all of a sudden, the antennas go up and like, here we go. It's like an end time sermon. I don't want us to be triggered by that. I want us to understand what John is saying. So what does he mean by it is the last hour? It's not just that. It's, it's 11 p.m. It's, it's almost turning midnight. It's the last hour as I write that. It's not that. Nor should we allow our thinking just to immediately jump to the line of end times and the timing of things. I want us to understand God's redemptive history, the story of God's redemption throughout human history. God creating Adam and Eve in the garden, creating them in his image to reflect his glory. We see sin enter the world. We see thousands of years as people lived by faith and they lived in their own folly, rising and falling until the one who was promised arrived, Christ, the Messiah, is what Christ means. He is the rescuer. He is the one who, would, who was promised, who would come, who would defeat Satan in death, in sin, once and for all. 
And we see Christ, the historical, divine Christ, born. God, the eternal God, clothed in humanity. He lived, He died, He was buried. And He rose again three days later. And then He ascended to heaven. And there is only one thing left in the story of redemption that is to happen. And that is His return. If human history were a race, we would be in the final lap. If, if the story of human history were a storybook, we would be in the last chapter. If, the, if human history was but a single day, we would be in the last hour. This is what John is saying. This is it. Like, pay attention. The story has played out. We are nearing the end. Christ's return is imminent. This is the last hour. Don't lose focus. Don't trip. Don't stumble. Keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. Run with endurance. This is a theme we see over and over throughout Scripture. And this is what he's saying. It is the last hour. And then he uses that language that really only John uses. You have heard that Antichrist, singular, this statement that there is one figure who is known as Antichrist. We see it partially fulfilled in 168 BC. We see it partially in 70 AD. And so there's this idea, you've heard about this. You've heard about this one who is called the Antichrist. But here's why I say don't get lost in that. Because look at where he continues. So now... Many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. John himself defines what he means by antichrist here. If you look at verse 22, he says, Who is the liar? Who is this that I'm referring to? But he denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist definition. What does John mean by Antichrist? He means the one who denies Jesus Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. That it's not just a person, but it's a principle that John is talking about here. That he's saying we see this principle at work. There are those who will confess Christ and there are those who will deny Christ. And it's at this moment that John is drawing this metaphorical line in the sand. In a culture that wants to see everyone's truth as true, everyone's authentic self being lived as they want. Who are you to say what's right and wrong? Everyone's playing on the beach of religion and faith. And we want to all sing kumbaya and coexist and you do you and I'll do me. And then here's John stepping forward, drawing this line in the sand. And he says, you either confess Christ or you are against Christ. There's no third way. There's no other path. There's no alternative. You are either confessing what Christ has said as true because he is truth or you are rejecting it. But here's the interesting thing. Actually, it wasn't John 
who drew the line. It's not like we in our pride say, you're either for us or you're against us. It was Jesus himself who drew the line in the sand. And John is just pointing back to it, saying it's there. Whether we like it or not, it's there. It was Jesus who asked the question of his disciples. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because who Jesus claimed to be was the eternal God who has eternally existed, clothed in humanity. It was Jesus who said of himself that he never failed, he never faltered, he never sinned. He lived a perfect life. It was Jesus who said that he was God. It was Jesus who said that he is the only way. It is Jesus who said that he laid down his life to purchase the freedom of all those who would believe on Christ. It's Jesus who said these things. It's Jesus who rose from the dead three days later. It's Jesus who promised that He would one day return. This is the line in the sand that Jesus has drawn. And in John 14.6, again, remember that John, who wrote the Gospel of John, is the same one who wrote 1 John, is leaning heavily If you read the Gospel of John 14, 15, 16, 17, you're going to see all of these themes play out throughout 1 John. And it's John who records Jesus as saying, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth. Not a truth, not one of many truths. Truth is not just an idea. Truth is a person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus says, I am the life. Do you see the themes? Eternal life. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see the line in the sand? Whether we like it or not, it's Jesus who said, you either confess in what Jesus declares about himself as the truth, we either confess that and say, that is true. That is who you are, and I surrender my life to you. I trust you. Or we stand in opposition to that. There are only two sides. Jesus says, I am the way. And it is an exclusive claim. Not everyone who plays on the beach of religion and faith will be saved. There is a line. Those who stand confessing Christ and those who reject Him. That is the worldview in the teaching of Scripture. And it runs counter to everything in our culture. And there are counterfeits. There are counterfeit, not just counterfeit religions, There are counterfeit expressions of even who Jesus is. I think this question is important when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? This is often my first question to people. They'll be like, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. But right, if someone came to you and you're like, I go to church. What's the name of your pastor? His name's Steve. And you're like, my pastor's name's Steve. And that person's like, we must go to the same church. (laughs) Maybe. We have a lot of Steves even just in this church, right? You're like, describe him for me. Well, he's short and he has like this long hair pulled back in a man bun and he likes skinny jeans. And you're going to be like, "Mm, 
that's not my Steve. <laughs> right? Different Steve. The same thing happens. I have people show up to my door, knocking on the door, and they'll, be, they'll say, can we talk? They'll want to share their faith. And I'm like, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian too. I follow Jesus. Who do you say that Jesus is? Tell me about your Jesus. Same name. But we're not following the same person here. See, Mormons are going to say that, yeah, see, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian too. But, but their Jesus was brothers with Satan in, in the offspring of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. And, and they too will have spiritual babies and be gods over their own planet. And I'm like, mm, different Jesus. Not the same. Same with Jehovah Witnesses. I follow Jesus too. Tell me about him. Who do you say that he is? Oh, Jesus was created. Not eternal. Different than God. Oh, he didn't rise from the dead physically. He rose spiritually. Different Jesus. Do you see what I mean? This is what John is getting at, where we need to be careful. There are those out there seeking to deceive us. The hour is late in the day. Christ's return is imminent. Abide in what is true. Not everyone who claims to follow Christ is a follower of Christ. And there is a warning here. Be careful. But then John shows what it means to stand firm in the faith. We see this over and over again. And it's not to just try really hard. How do you abide in the truth? What does it mean? Well, you know what's going to really help is if you memorize half the Bible and you listen to every sermon that I've ever preached and then maybe you'll have a chance. No. I pray you hear the deep sarcasm in that, right? That is not what it means to abide. There's two words that we see John using over and over again. If you highlight, I have it like highlighted and circled and all these markups, which is why I love these, these journals, but abide and anointing. Oh, there are two words that we're going to see over and over again. John is going to use, I want to say it's like 23 times, the word abide throughout 1 John. We're going to see it seven of those times between this week and next week, this theme of abide come out. And so it says, you have heard this from the beginning. I'm looking at verse 24. And you lit what you have heard from the beginning. Remain is what abide, what abide means. To remain in you. If it abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. But this anointing, jumping down to verse 27, that you have received from Him, it abides in you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything. See, what I want you to see is, is John's trying to counter this idea of Gnosticism that says you need some special truth. You need additional revelation. Don't listen to them. This is about what you think and experience about God. You need some sort of additional special revelation about God if you're going to walk with Him. It's not just this traditional truth. There's something else that you can add to it. And John's like, you don't need anything else. What you've heard is what you need. Just remain there. Don't let these others deceive you. And so we see this sense 
of confessing. Whoever confesses that the Son, whoever confesses Jesus, has God also. Whoever confesses, Romans 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What have you done? What have you added? What accomplishments are you bringing? Other than to say, I have confessed that what Jesus says is true is true. I have confessed that with my mouth. I have believed that in my heart. That is it. That is what we have believed from the beginning. And John's pleading with the church, don't move from here. Don't add to it. Don't change it. Don't tweak it. Rest here. Stay here. Because we have been anointed by the Holy One. At salvation, we have received the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in us. There is this anointing that has happened to us. We haven't done it to ourselves. God has done it. And because His Spirit is in us, it helps us discern truth from error. Have you ever been there? Someone said something to you and you're like, I don't think that's right. Just something in me is kind of saying that's wrong. I don't understand everything, but i unsettled here. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Him guiding, prompting, saying, no, 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 no. Not the same, different, false. We may not understand it all, but what we need, we have in Christ. Because I just come back to it. Truth is not just something that I believe internally. It's not just saying my truth or your truth. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. Remember when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It is not my opinion, it is not my belief, it is not my feeling. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. And we either confess him or we deny him. There is nothing of ownership when it comes to truth. That is what John is laying out. That if you look at verse 20, we have been anointed by the Holy One who gives us knowledge. The anointing we have received abides in us. His anointing teaches and leads us in verse 27. In verse 24, it says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son. Do you see this, this theme, this repetition of words, which should be an idea, hey, there's something here John wants me to see. And it's stay. Rest in Him and what he has declared to be true, nothing else is needed. Nothing else to add. It's not Jesus plus something else. He's saying this is what we believed from the beginning. Stay here. And we see John pointing back to the line that Jesus drew in the sand. That no one comes to the Father except through him. And it just reminds me of what Joshua 
said in chapter 24, choose this day whom you will serve. If we tweak that for today, whether are you going to serve the gods of other cultures? Are you going to serve the God of our culture, the God of self? Or are you going to serve and confess Jesus Christ? There are only these two options. You are either confessing Christ or you are anti and rejecting Christ. In his book, Radical, David Platt tells this story when he was at, I think it was a a Hindu temple. And he was in this particular area where they were very big on like all religions are good and we're all going to work together and coexist and isn't this beautiful. And so he was there and he was talking with a a Hindu teacher and he was talking with an Islamic imam and and they were giving that exact illustration. God is at the top of this mountain and we're all taking our own paths to the top and, and they're doing their thing and we're doing our thing. But look how beautiful it is that we're all getting along. And so David Platt said that he thought about this for a moment, thinking about how he would respond. And he's like, what if, right? Like, what if we use that same illustration? But I tell you that God came down from the mountain to meet the people. Would you be interested in knowing more? And they were kind of curious and they're like, yeah, I would be. Because here's the problem with the illustration, that religion is just God with a mountain, like God is at the top of a mountain that we're all trying to ascend. The reality is we'll never make it. Like, which of the paths will reach God? None of them. This is the difference. None of us can climb the mountain. Like, if I took us all to the beach today, right? We're going to go over to the Atlantic side and we're going to go to the beach. And I tell you that we're all going to swim straight east. And I had to look this up yesterday, but if we swam straight east, we would hit Morocco, which I thought was interesting. Western Sahara, maybe. Depends how straight you can keep the line. And imagine some of us are like, okay, like we're stretching, we're warming up. And some are like, I'm going to do backstroke. Others are going to do butterfly. I'm going to doggy paddle. And I know that I won't even make it hundred yards before I sink, right? Which of us is making it? None of us. It's ridiculous, right? It's utterly ridiculous to even think that we could swim the Atlantic. Why in the world would we think that we could climb the mountain to a holy God? That should be even more ridiculous. Like, that should just be so counter. Like, it's impossible. You can take whatever path you want. You're not making it. That's the point. And this is the beauty of the gospel, that it doesn't matter who you are. God came down from the mountain. He he crossed the gap we could not cross. The distance we could not achieve on our own. That's what Christ did. This is the hope we have in the gospel. He is our rescue who crosses the distance that separates us. To know Jesus is to know God. And so, if we have this image in our mind, and we know that the way of knowing Christ is not in what we achieve. It's not in the path. It's knowing that Christ came to us 
and we confess that. This should change everything, shouldn't it? Like it should change everything for us in our life, in our striving, in our labor to know that we have Christ today. We have a life today, not just when I die. And it should change what we proclaim and how we speak to a a culture that would completely reject this truth. Because let me ask you two applications. Imagine we're standing on the beach. There's that side and we're like, you can confess Christ and in confessing Christ, you know that as you stand on the beach and you're looking at the distance, no land in sight. And you think about what it's going to take to swim all the way across that ocean. And then there's the reality that Christ came to the shore. He, he traveled that distance that I knew I wasn't going to be able to make. And he's here, present now. Which of us would be foolish enough to jump in the water and begin swimming and say, but I can do it. I can do it. It would be foolish, wouldn't it? This is what the, the gospel's getting at. This is what it's saying. Remain. Abide. Say, he crossed it. It's not your effort. It's not how far you can get. He crossed it. He's here. Abide. Remain with him. Don't add to it. Don't change. Don't run off. There is a sense of personally abiding this personal confession. Where are you tempted to allow the culture to sway you from the conviction that Christ is sufficient and He alone is exclusively the only way to knowing God? Is it fear? Is it the approval of man? What is it that would cause you to doubt this reality? Is it pride Because it can be all sorts of things that tug on our heart that would cause us to walk away from such a beautiful truth. The second thing is this. What will you proclaim? It's hard, right? In a culture that will hate every word I've just spoken. Every that is in God's word. There would be hatred and bigoted and labels and words would be assigned to it. But if you're standing on the shore and if you are enjoying what it means to abide in Christ and you see people on the other side of the line stretching and warming up, I'm going to do the backstroke, I'm going to do the butterfly, here I go to climb this mountain to achieve and know God. Are you just going to let them swim out to their death or would you say something? even if it ticks them off. This is the reality. Right? Like, this is the reality of where we're at in our culture and in our world. There are people, and we're going to say, you do you, boo. Good, good job. Like, go for it, man. Hope you make it. You know they're not making it. But we feel good about ourselves because now they're not mad at us. Is that really loving? No. This is why I believe that John wrote this to the church. Do not be deceived. 
There are liars who are lying. What are you going to believe and what are you going to abide in? Remain, abide in Christ together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that, Lord, it runs so counter to every positive statement in what it feels like the winds of our culture and how they're presently blowing. But Lord, we don't want to just... We want to stand on the foundation of your word. Lord, I don't want to just hold an opinion out of pride, but out of surrender to you as truth. Lord, would you give us humility that there should be absolutely no pride within us to be surrendered to you? Give us the strength and courage to proclaim Jesus Christ alone as the way, the truth, and the life. That it is impossible to know God apart from Jesus. Lord, give us the, the courage, give us the humility to stand firm on this foundation that you have laid beneath our feet from the beginning. Let us remain and be faithful. And in Jesus' name, amen.